Elizabeth. Today's the 26th, and of course, like always, we're going to start with the proverb I chose, verse 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. There's a good one right there. And um, that's good. Last week, um, we started a new series, and we've been talking about thriving, not surviving, but thriving, no matter what's going on around us. Um, some people that you know and you run into, they're confident, they're full of hope, they're, they've, they've got vision. And at the same time, there are others who are overloaded with anxiety and with stress and with fear. Why the difference? You know, why do some people have hope in spite of what's going on around them and other people don't? How can, another big question is, how can I be one of the people that wakes up with hope instead of anxiety? Um, the Lord wants for you and me more than survival. He wants us to thrive, and, and thriving is where we're headed over the next several weeks because this whole idea about just surviving this, that's the viewpoint of people who have no hope. That's not you if you're um, one of God's children because you were meant to thrive. You were meant to thrive. So um, last week we, we had our key verse, and I just want to remind you what the key verse is for this whole series. So here's what it is. Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Wow. Verse 3 in that passage is God, God's picture of you and me thriving. And um, so we had three main points that we are still the key points that we're going to be going through in this series, how Christians would th be thriving. First one is Christians, we're not like the people around us. You know, Jesus says we're in the world, but not of the world. And um, the second point is that we're going to consume God's word. It's going to be our primary sustenance. And his delight is in the law of the Lord. And uh, the number three is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Those are, those are three keys for Christians to be thriving. And um, that to, to thrive, we worship in spirit and in truth. You know, Jesus is absolutely our absolute, absolute, absolute best example of worship anywhere in the word. And last time, um, we found an example of that in, of all places, the Old Testament. We were in Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22, to me, is a really, really special psalm. It's one of the psalms of David. It's very prophetic. And um, I, I don't know how David could have known what he was prophesying about, but in that psalm, which was down and written 500 years before Jesus... When you look at that psalm, before you even go there, I'm not going to read it with you today, but go there if you haven't read it, and, and, and get this. This is a picture of Jesus on the cross and a conversation and a prayer conversation that he's having with the Father while he's on the cross. And uh, this is before crucifixion had been invented as a form of execution, and it's very clear. You'll hear some phrases that you know from the New Testament description that um, this is exactly what's going on in that. And, and in the middle of all of those, those, those moments of, of, of difficulty and pain and being executed, Jesus is worshiping. He's worshiping in those moments. It's, it's just mind-boggling. 
And, um, you know, for, for you and me in, in church, we, for church, regular churchgoers, we think of worship many times as music. And, you know, it is, but it's also so much more than just singing at church. So today we're going to be um, in our text, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 4. And I, before we get into the God's word, I want to take a minute and pray. Lord, as we get into your word, would you speak to us? Pray, Lord, that the life that is in here and the hope that is in here that's not just generic here for us, but it's for what you want to put into our hearts this day and where you want to lead us this day, Lord, that you would let that, just drive that down into our souls. And Lord, as I make comments today, um, forgive me where I fall short as a, as a communicator. Let things, Lord, that are of, of you, Lord, settle and things that are not just blow away like so much chaff. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, chapter 4, John chapter 4, picking up in verse 5. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, now uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Okay, this, this town's probably near Shechem, um, which on today's map would be um, in the Israeli West Bank, about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, near a town called Nablus, and Nablus is mostly um, filled with people of the Muslim faith. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is probably noon. The Hebrews counted time of day starting at sunup, so about six, the sixth hour would be about noon. The Romans ca- count, started counting the hours from noon, um, but this is probably the Hebrew count. So this is probably around, around noon. It's not critical. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, he, he says, he, he's thirsty, he says, give me a drink. And now for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along, and there's a whole deal there. I'm not going to go into why they didn't, but some of the main differences between them was that the Samaritans, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and um, they worshipped at Mount Gerizim instead of at Jerusalem. They didn't identify or recognize the, um, the Psalms or Proverbs or any of the major or minor prophets that we would say are part of the Old Testament and that the Jewish uh, people consider their scripture. So they, they didn't know that. And, and even today, there are still um, in, um, there's still probably a few hundred practicing Samaritans in, in the town of, of Nablus. Okay, verse 10. Now Jesus, she says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and we aren't supposed to talk to each other. How come you're talking to me? Verse 10. Jesus answered her. He says, If you knew the gift of God, what's the gift of God? The gift of God is salvation through Christ, right? The gift of God is salvation through the guy standing here talking to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, You have nothing to draw water with. She's back on physical water from the well. Jesus is talking salvation. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She wants to talk about the the, the physical and the practical. 
She is not getting it, and Jesus is on the more important. Verse 13, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Okay, dealing with the practical. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me that water. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Okay, I've told you about the miracle. I'm going to now prove myself to you about this. Okay, this is what's going on. He says, he says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answers him and said, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. <laughs> He's... He's looking into her soul. He knows her past, and he just says, here's who you are. I know who you are. Somehow in love, he's saying this to her. This woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> There's an understatement in Scripture. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's, she's saying, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So now we're talking about worship. And Jesus says this to her. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's saying it's not going to be about a point on the map. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seek, seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's not so much about the place. The woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. So she's picking up here that there's some stuff going on. This guy knows what he's talking about. He can see into her life, and um, he's promised this living water. So she gets that this is really a spiritual discussion. It's not so much about family relationships and physical wells. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, by the way, for people who would suggest that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah or never claimed to be God, they just haven't read the Bible because there's another example of him saying who he is in a very careful way. This passage teaches us that it, it, concerning worship, it's not about where and when. It's about who and how. That takes a minute to sink in. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither uh, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You know, we, you and I have some picture of worship. We think we know what worship is. We might not be able to describe it in a word. We might have to describe it in a lot of words. But it's not necessarily what you've pictured. And it's probably not always the style that you prefer. Now, I, I just would just be transparent with you and just admit that uh, you know, I've, I've struggled about worship in different times in my life, and I've had an attitude, a bad attitude sometimes. You know, I've, I've, I've had to watch myself to not become, and sometimes I failed at not becoming the guy with a kind of a rigid, stodgy attitude about worship. 
You know, um, I, because of my role, uh, Lisa and I go to pastors' conferences, in the, in, in, and we've gone to, that are put on different conferences, and we go to conferences once a year, typically, um, that are put on by the Northwest District of the Foursquare Denomination. It's Washington and Idaho and Montana, a couple hundred churches, and um, they have these conferences at, and they move it around, and they have it at large churches, large Foursquare churches, and typically those would be the big churches that have pretty successful, a lot of people, a lot of resources, a lot of whistles, and a lot of bells. And, um, you know, so I've noticed over the last decade a tendency for, for, and I've seen some changes in the way worship happens, especially if you have the money to buy the whistles and the bells. And so I've noticed in some of these big churches that we get there that when it's time for the worship, and you got three or four hundred pastors and, and a lot of other staff members, and these people want to get in and let's, let's go, and they want to worship, but People worship in different places with different styles. And I've noticed a tendency for the rooms to get darker and the lights to get brighter and a lot of cameras and a lot of video screens. And um, um, I've seen smoke generators. And instead, it used to be that lights were put um, somewhere up there to point down it so that the cameras could pick it up. Now the, the, the lights are there, but they're also backstage pointing out into the crowd and they're moving around and they're bright and they're flashing. And, and uh, I... I've been kind of stodgy about that. I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I mean, um, I, I, when, when the lights, I'm just being transparent here with you, right? Okay. So when those lights in the back point right straight into the crowd and they hit me in the eyes, they, 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 they make me angry. <laughs> okay. Here's my excuse. My lame excuse is that years ago I had LASIK surgery um, to, for, to correct my eyesight. And, and ever since then, I've been a little bit more light sensitive. So it, it really, really does cause me some pain. But but beyond that, it's just flashy to me. I, I, it distracts me. Now, that's me. That's Terry. And um, so, like, they have these surveys at the end of these conferences. And, you know, what was good? What was bad? What can we... And, and every year, I give them the same answer. I say, hey, quit flashing bright lights in my eyes. It breaks my worship. <laughs> It's an honest, honest deal, and I suppose that's representative of some small slice of the, of the people because they keep doing it. But, but by the way, when I sign those surveys, I put my name on there too. I'm not hiding. I'm not, you know, I'm not a troll. I'm just saying, yeah, hey, this, this is, it is what it is. But I get stodgy about that, right? And, um, you know, and full disclosure, earlier in my life, in my BC days, I promoted and, and put on some pretty loud um, dances and some pretty loud concerts and so forth, um, and um, that was my deal. And I came from a generation that liked loud and to, to feel the music. And so, every generation has their preferences when it comes to style. And um, but my, the smallness of my heart can tend to go pharisaical and say, "Ah, it's smoke and chrome. <laughs> it's denigrating." And I ought not to do that. Um, and, and I'll say that, but. But, but, but so, so, okay, so we're now all at stay home. We can't go to church. And I was one day in my devotion time trying to thinking about, this came to my mind as I was thinking about worship. And I started thinking, well, what about an entire generation that that is the only form of worship, physical corporate worship that they know? Shoulder to shoulder, smoke, lights, music, loud, all of that kind of stuff. They're completely isolated from what they would know to be as worship, and my heart became concerned for them. Not judgmental, um, because now I feel um, carefully, I feel carefully different about past judgments, because I think I've, my heart's been a little bit harsh. 
Because when those things com- combine together and, and, and they contribute to the voice of worship, it's good. Go for it. And if that's what the room is doing, I'm going to try and invest and get involved because in I want to be a part of what the corporate group is doing. You know, it's not always about me. But if or when those extra um, trappings of worship become necessary, if you can't worship without them, they have now become the object of the worship, not the Lord. So the question I start with, and maybe we should start with, is what happens to every generation when styles change because of a newer and a younger viewpoint and voice? You know, Here's the answer to that. If those trappings and those styles are in spirit and in truth, they will remain. And if they're not in spirit and truth, they'll fade away. You don't have to be all worried about it. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Everything this woman knew about worship was being blown up in those moments. You know, Jesus was saying worship is no longer tied to latitude and longitude. He's saying you can worship anywhere at any time. Anywhere at any time. This kind of blew her thinking because worship was traditionally done in a very tightly prescribed way. You know, you're going to worship at the temple. You're going to use the altar. It's going to be a specific animal done in a certain way. It's going to be, the, the act is going to be performed by a priest on our behalf. There's all of these deals. And now Jesus explains that all of that changes because the hour is coming and is now here. Worship is changing. And the object of our worship, which is Jesus Christ, has overcome all that we have ever faced, all we ever will face. And worship now changes from a ritual at a fixed location to an attitude in a living heart. Worship changes from Virtual to real. It changes from liturgy to living. It, it, worship changes from a formula to a response. Now, this Greek word, worship, you know, isn't what I expected to find out when I started doing my digging. Um, I don't recall having dug into this word this deeply in the past, and what I found, it kind of surprised me. Um, worship includes the musical things that we do at church. Um, you know, worshiping in spirit and in truth, that word spirit means uh, it, it basically comes from pneumas. It means a puff of air or a breath of air. Um, and, and so it include, It does include, when you worship in spirit and truth, it does include the singing that we do. It's so much more. But the word worship itself, the literal Greek meaning of the word worship, uh, surprised me. I think it's going to surprise you too. It's a Greek word, um, proskuneo, and it actually comes from two different Greek words. The first Greek root word is pros or pro. And you and I use that word, pro-life. That's what that means. It means uh, forward to or toward. You know? And then the second root word is, it doesn't have a very, it does, there's no simple, clean English translation for this second, second root word, uh, kuon. And, 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 and I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to park this topic right now on this, this root word and come back to it in a couple minutes. Um, might not surprise a lot of you that Lisa and I love dogs. <laughs> and um, we have been without one for, for quite a few years because 
frankly, the last time um, our last dog died, it, it broke our hearts, and we just didn't want to go through that again. I mean, we love having dogs around, but the pain of losing the dog was just a lot. And um, if you're a dog lover, you understand that. And if you're not, you're, 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 you're laughing at me right now. Stop it, okay? <laughs> but, um, you know, since, since uh, Molly, that last dog, passed away, um, over the years in between, Lisa and I have, have, have we've had this, this deal going where one of us was strong all the time and the other one maybe was weak. So, you know, I, I might one day say to her, hey, let's get a dog. And she would have been strong at that moment. I'd say, no, 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 we don't want a dog. Remember, she'd come up with a list. And, uh, and then sometime later, she'd say, I, I kind of think I'd like a dog. And I'd say, no, 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 remember? So we, we would not have this time. But then something happened in last December. We both were weak at the same time. <laughs> and um, the result was that on um, December 26th, the day after Christmas, we hopped in our car and we drove to Cascade Locks, which is down in along the Columbia River, just past Oregon, to the east of Oregon. And we met a breeder who has, was bringing a couple puppies for us to look at from over in eastern Washington somewhere. And the long and the short of that was that we turned around and came home with eight-week-old uh, puppy that we named Margo. And um, that decision that day and that drive resulted in months of potty training and chew toy buying and hand washing, lots of hand washing, because this dog licks our hands. In, it just won't stop licking them. And by the time we got to this whole lockdown and stay at home and you know stay calm and wash your hands, I'm telling you what, I already had the hand washing thing down because we've been doing a lot of that. And Margot just will not stop. Stop. She won't stop licking our hands. And you know, we come home from being somewhere, and um, she goes crazy, and she just licks our hands, licks our hands. And uh, you know, we can be sitting together watching TV or something, and get up out of the room to go put on a sweater and come back. And when I come back into the room, she acts like I've been gone six months, and the tail starts to go nuts, and the licking—it's like I was just—I've only been gone thirty seconds. Can we, you know? And lick, 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 and um, I assure you, by the way, if this is gross to you, understand, I wash my hands a lot, okay? So maybe you love dogs. <laughs> maybe you hate dogs. Um, maybe you're a cat person, in which case you're not getting this at all. But, um <laughs> but listen, for all of you, I can tell you there's a formula. If you get a puppy and um, you raise it as a companion and you love that dog, it's going to love you back, and it's going to lick your hands a lot if you let it. You know, um, it's going to, you know, you're going to, when you come home, when you walk into the room, that dog is going to go berserk when, um, you know, when it sees you again. It's, it's almost like the dog is thinking, wahoo, this is the best moment of my whole life. Tail, 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 lick, 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 lick. I mean, that's just the way it works with dogs. I've seen this T-shirt that I love that says, <laughs> my goal in life is to be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> anyway, back to that Greek root word. Where are you going with this, Terry? You know, part of worship, that part of the Greek root word for worship that doesn't have a clean, and clean English translation Proskuneo, that, that second word, the concept kuon is a kiss, but not like we kiss each other. The best picture that the translators of that word 
say for the kiss is a dog licking a master's hand. Now, before you go nuts on me, this is not a picture that I made up because I like dogs, okay? The, 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 the explanation of the Greek root words and what they mean, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. The, by the way, this, is, this word worship is in the New Testament 60 times. It's the same word over and over again. And, and this picture of a dog licking its master's hands being towards that is, is, is pro. It, it comes from a couple of books called Strong's Concordance and Greek uh, and, and Thayer's Greek to English lexicon. They're very, very trusted, highly used in Bible colleges and pastor studies. A lot of people, I think they're very, very, I mean, probably among the most frequently owned books besides the Bible for people. And if this picture doesn't work for you, okay, but it seemed to work for the translators and the linguists. So, so, so please now, don't get all bogged down in the cats versus dog argument or in the, but we're not dogs argument. Okay, that's not my point. Just consider the idea of the, 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 the Greek root words for worship were meant to paint in our minds. This, this, this kiss, this kind of kiss, carries no concern for station, it has no concern for dignity. It's all about adoration and bonding. Adoration and bonding. True worship is about being pro-adoration and bonding. <laughs> what is worship for you? Is, it, is worship for you adoration and bonding with God? Or is it a check mark on a list. You feel better because you got a check mark. This, this woman would have completely understood the imagery. But the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him, <laughs> to bond and adore. God is spirit. Those who are willing to bond and adore him must do it in spirit and in truth. You know, I think it'd be possible to view um, the bride of Christ, the church, the big C church, in a couple of different categories. People who worship in spirit and truth and people who don't. Okay, well, Terry, how do I know if I'm, I'm worshiping in spirit and truth? How will I know that? Okay, a couple of signs. Number one, for me, worship means adoration and bonding with God. That's what worship is all about for me, okay? We've already, t we've, we've covered that territory. I don't need to plow that field again. So that's number one. Number two, church worship style. It may affect me, but it won't stop me from worshiping. You can do whatever style you want because the worship's gonna happen in here. It's not gonna happen here. It happens here. It's not gonna happen here. It happens here in my heart. You know, for, for some people in some um, church culture, um, raising hands and dancing in the aisles might seem wrong to them. And then there are other people not raising your hands and not dancing in the aisle seems wrong to them. And it, it, no, neither side has, has the right to judge the other because nobody knows what's in somebody else's heart. The focus should be and needs to be on, on adoration and bonding with God. And, and that changes in the context. You know, church music 
and, uh, and, and, and audio production quality have dramatically changed, um, I'd say, over the last generation, let's say 40 years. I mean, dramatically changed. Today, we have sound systems instead of PA, public address systems. Um, today, we have computers and projectors and TV screens and high-resolution video instead of overhead transparencies. <laughs> When we got saved, when I got saved, I, you know, the church I was in, we had an organ, and we had a guy up on the platform, and um, there was an overhead transparency, and he would put, lay them down for each song, and so you would see the, so the words up there. And, and I can recall the scandal, the scandal in the church of somebody bringing in a guitar, and then drums of all things, you know. Styles change. The point is, is it in spirit and in truth? But anyway, things have changed. And back in the 1990s, um, I, I'd say Christian worship music that was available to buy on CDs and play and listen to in your car and on the radios, there was a dramatic change in what happened, and it took off. Um, it was a, almost a revival of music, and uh, it was prolific growth. It was success, and it was really, really good. And um, there, there, there was a church um, in Watford, England, that... Um, started to lose its footing when it came to worship um, and, and, and would probably be fair to say that they started to worship the worship. And um, when the pastor kind of was dealing with that in his heart, he decided to take a brave step. And um, uh, so he eliminated the sound system and stopped using a church band. And so... When they gathered together, it was only their voices, only their voices. And it was probably, you know, they'd lost their way in worship, and, and, the, and the way back for them was to strip back down to bare nothing and figure things out and put back what belonged. And at first, you know, the meetings would kind of have this embarrassing, awkward silence and then maybe some a cappella singing, and, and then it grew, and then some heartfelt prayers and started happening. And, and what was real and sincere and wasn't a, a, a aimed at the, and the, the, the trappings of, of worship was ignited by the Holy Spirit, and it returned. And um, the people of the church started to re-encounter God in a fresh way. Today we would say, well, that was because they started worshiping in spirit and in truth. Eventually the church reintroduced the sound system and the worship band. And as the, the this particular church was nearing the end of this journey, um, one of the people who attended there, who's a, a, a guy that you may have heard of, his name is Matt Redmond, wrote a song one day in his bedroom. And the song wasn't meant to be this worldwide anthem about worship, which it turned into. Um, it was his personal subjective response to what he was learning about what God looks for in worship. And um, I've asked Pastor Steve to, to sing and play that for us. And the songs will appear at the bottom of the screen. Um, so I want you just to enjoy this, but also let the message of this, of this music get down into your soul. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come Longing just to bring something that's a word that would bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, or a song in itself. 
I love that song, not just because it's catchy, but because it helps me do course corrections in my soul. And um, so thank, I'm, I'm thankful for our, our worship um, here and for the fact that, that they lead us so well. Thank you for that. So how do I know if I worship in spirit and truth? We've done one and two. Number three, there will be fruit. Other aspects of my life also are going to reflect adoration and bonding with God. And Jesus promised this and predicted this in John chapter 15, verse 5, where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Examples of what that fruit looks like? Here's just a few examples. My heart's grateful instead of having an attitude of entitlement. I'm faith-filled with my plans and my relationships and my, I'm, I'm generous with my money and I'm, I'm trusting God to guide my steps instead of being self-centered, self-reliant, hoarding. I love people instead of being selfish and self-centered. I'm servant-minded instead of being consumer-minded. I mean, those are examples of other areas of my life that will show up because of the fruit of me worshiping in spirit and in truth. When I, when I worship in spirit and in truth, my faith rises. You know, my fruit grows. God is glorified. 
True, true worship is, is, is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holy living, holiness. True worship reveals where God is on our list of priorities. Thriving instead of surviving is the automatic result of us being well grafted into the vine. To thrive today under stay at home and actually under any time, Jesus invites each one of his children to close up the distance between us and him, to decrease the distance. That's what Jesus was offering this woman at the well, and it's what he offers you and me. Their discussion really wasn't about water, it wasn't about wells, and it wasn't about husbands. It was about eternal life and about worshiping God, um, the one who gives us that eternal life. And he offers this living water, verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up for eternal life. My prayer for you, for all of us, is that we will thrive as we invest in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. I want to pray for you, and I also want to, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to pray about that too, because Jesus' living water, this eternal life that he offers, is offered freely to all. Let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you, God, for stirring our souls to get closer to you in authenticity, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Help us to see what that is, to know what that is, and to not be dependent upon our environment or the address that we're standing because worship can truly happen anywhere at any time. So, Lord, it's not just about us singing. Help us to know that it's about our attitudes. It's about the way we conduct ourselves. It's about our faith. It's all a worship to the King. Be glorified in it, Lord. Let it grow in our hearts. Let it become more evident. Let it be something that sustains us and causes us to thrive, Lord, I pray. And Lord, I want to pray for people who have heard this news and, and are now sensing your spirit. They're sensing something in their soul saying, there's something about what this guy is talking about, and uh, I don't want to be left out. Lord, I pray that your, your spirit would, would just make sense, Lord, in those circumstances now, that as the Father draws them, that there would be a, a willingness, God. So I pray an openness of hearts to hear the good news. And while Christians are praying, I would just say, if you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, the scripture is very clear. It says, all who call on Jesus will be saved. All who call on Christ will be saved. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, that then you will be saved. And so if you've never opened your heart to the Lord, I encourage you to do that now, just to say this, and you can say it in your own words, Lord, I know I need to be saved. I know I need a God. I know you are the one. I can, I'm not good enough to get to heaven on my own. I accept the gift of salvation. It's as simple as that. Then tell somebody. You can tell us. There's a button on the bottom of the screen. Or you can ask to pray with one of the people that are moderating the online um, discussion right now. Or you can tell a friend. But I encourage you to do that. Lord, I pray, God, that this day you will fill us with life, with vision. That, God, we would be people who would be noticeably thriving as the people around us view. Lord, let there be something in us that bubbles over, more than just for us to be healthy, that, Lord, we might be able to minister to people around us. Now, Lord, um, we walk forward in faith. We ask, God, for your hand to rest upon us between now and the next time we meet. We pray in Jesus' name.